very distracting. Very distracting start to the day. <laughs> Our guy, Daniele, from The Morning Show, my former producer, he's just got brightly colored brackets. Very nicely done. But I can't stop and looking at goes, it, so I got to turn here, it Here, here, here to everybody. Got to get him in, by the way. It's, mm-hmm. it's so weird with the... I hate the first round thing. Yeah. Like, I really, truly despise it. Yeah. The adding of the extra teams oh, that yeah, yeah. add to the stuff. before the tournament and these two teams are playing it. And you go, because who, who in their right mind is picking those teams to go deep yeah. in their brackets? You have to make them cannon fodder, right? Yeah. UCLA and, was a first four team when they went deep. Okay. It's so, good. Like, it happens every once in a yeah. while, but it's rare. <laughs> yeah. It, I'm, I'm just saying that for you to pick it, yeah. for you to say, okay, I like Arizona State tonight, and they're going to go on a run. Mm. And then they're bounced when this thing starts, and you go, okay, they're cool. They're bounced by Wednesday? Yeah, just it's, it sucks. Yeah. Anyways, brackets are hanging around offices now. This is, this is actually a PSA for everybody listening to this right now that's working from home. Go to work. <laughs> like, that's where you get the Stop office Stop analyzing bracket. Howard and Kansas. Yeah, no, 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 no. You guys, no, that's a different thing for you. See, you're so distracted, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Joe, I'm saying... <laughs> I thought you were talking about brackets. I am talking about brackets. I'm oh. saying that everybody work from home. You don't get to see the office pool. You don't get mm, the... Okay. You need to have the printed out bracket. You oh, will, 100%. You will not be invested if you have just the online thing. Yeah. That is a rookie loser move. I'm mm. sorry. If I see someone just with their app on their phone and they're telling me about their bracket, I'm going, not you're not a serious person anyways. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about this. <laughs> if you show up at the bar and you unfurl yeah. a piece of paper with checks and, and you're asking the waitress for a pen, <laughs> you're my kind of guy. You're my kind of gal. That's the person that I want to see at the bar. Not... I have the Yahoo app, and it's very good. It updates me this. Shh, that's enough from you. This is where we need to stay yeah. in the past. Correct. Paper brackets. You must even. I got to tell you, Daniela, is he still back there? No, I think he's gone. Adding the color to the bracket is a little too much. I'm with you. Like, too much. I saw, yeah, I, I want the like grainy yes. black and white. I want to barely be able to read the yeah, names. That's right. That's right. And go, who is this? Does that say Kent State? <laughs> Kent State. <laughs> By the that, final weekend, too, like it's yeah. barely holding on. It's ripped it, in the middle. That's what I'm saying. That's like, what I yeah. want. Oh, that's yeah. what I want. You submit your one bracket yeah. to the pool leader, mm-hmm. the pool organizer. In this case, at the fan, it's been Lance Kennedy for as long as I can remember. Mm-hmm. Awesome guy, just does it every year without fail, without reminder. He's just on top of it. Mm-hmm. Good man. Honestly, Kind of the only thing he's good for, but he is good <laughs> for that. Ah, he's my it's boy. Tuesday morning. Okay. Come on. What a thing to be good for, for too. Decade. I mean, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, it's a pretty damn thing. good thing to be good for. Anyway, he runs a smooth operation. Mm-hmm. I've never won the Madness Pool at work. I think I finished third one year. That's pretty good. Uh, it's not first, though, no, unfortunately. Winning, even if you don't win a lot of money, there's something about being the Madness Pool winner. That's just better than yeah. just about any single gambling experience you can have. And shout out to our new partner, Patano, who has a ton of exclusives for you to bet at right now when it comes to March Madness betting. Anyway, let's keep it moving. Um, Leafs have fourth most points in the NHL. And so it's really hard to kill them when they lose games Mm -hmm. because you go, what, are they supposed to win every single one? Mm -hmm. 
does the other team never get any credit? Because last night I actually thought the Sabres were horrific to start the game, <laughs> yeah. but then awesome. Yeah. And I, I mentioned this last night on Leafs Talk with Sammy and I and further detail. But that Sabres team to me, there's a reason why I had Rob Ray on. There's a reason why I've referenced them a bunch of times. And it's not just because they have the number two pride of the Yukon behind me. <laughs> Dylan Cousins. I thought Gavin McKenna was number one. No, he's coming up. He might be number three He someday. might be number three. Might be someday number three mm-hmm. behind us. I'm just older. I get the seniority, okay? I've been doing it fair. longer. Yep, fair. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Isn't he in the NHL? Dylan yeah, Cousins. he is. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of like a million NHL players. There's like how many Toronto sports radio hosts? How many people 14? host the JD Bunkus podcast? That's right. One. Does Dylan Cousins have his own podcast? Yes or no? Joe. Probably not. What do you mean probably not? Definitely not. No. <laughs> correct. I'm just like, he might have one of his boys somewhere. Sorry, it's apples and oranges comparison, okay? <laughs> apples and oranges. I don't just like the Sabres because of Cousins. But what I do like about Cousins is that he's one of the team's best players, Mm -hmm. and he just plays with energy, commitment every single night. And they have a lot of guys that have a bit of a mean streak to them, and they are going to be very, very, very hungry to win. I'm not saying that the Leafs aren't, but the thing that they've been criticized for in the past is a little bit of complacency at times and missing that edge. It's why it's weird watching what's been happening with Michael Bunting over the last couple of weeks because he's sort of one of those guys that is not a passive player. Mm-hmm. And I know some of you are screaming right now, go, J.D., awesome, Matthews block shots, and Mitch Marner is incredible defensively, intercepts so many plays, and Nylander's been consistent, and Tavares goes into the front of the net. Yes, but they don't have that personality trait of the extra mean, nastiness, bite, finish. Mm-hmm. Mitch, I think, has it probably more than any of the stars, but he's 5'11". I know they list him at six feet. I don't think that's true. Either way, he's not exactly (laughs) a massive human being. Yesterday, you saw a little bit of it from Matthews because he hates Rasmus Dahlin Mm -hmm. with a deep passion. (laughs) And he got eviscerated (laughs) behind the net early on in the game. And then so he was starting to give the lumber to the rest of the fellas for a little bit of that game. Marner is listed at six feet. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a bit of a stretch, but that's okay. Who among us? He's at Simon. <laughs> oh, Simon the biggest liar. That's what they, he's now You're taking the, the title from me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, no. He's it. the biggest Tallest. liar. Oh, okay, I got gotcha. You're the biggest liar, you know? <laughs> different meanings. Yes, exactly. <laughs> different meanings. <laughs> yes, exactly. But I do got to say last night had to be a little bit of a nightmare for Dubas, where his team dominates early. They look terrific. Mm-hmm. They're absolutely showing a team, but the other team gets a bunch of saves. Yeah. They hang around. It's 2 nothing. You're at home. You got. I think Sheldon Keefe said after the game, there's no excuses. We got to win every single time when we're up 2 nothing at home. Hey, Sheldon, agree. Yeah. I don't think that there's many people like, well. <laughs> so Sabres played well, yep. but Leafs absolutely blew it. And why it's a nightmare for Kyle Dubas is he's looking at his goaltender, who actually played pretty well. Mm-hmm but couldn't make that one massive electric save. He made one on Tage Thompson that he should get credit for. But ultimately, he looks slow in his net right now. We have Kevin Woodley later on on the show today. I'm excited to talk to him Mm -hmm. because I I really do believe that he's the number one guy on goaltenders that you can talk to media-wise. He is just sharp. He knows exactly all of the numbers. He has them. He writes for Ingoal Magazine. He's a goaltender himself. His intimate knowledge of all these goaltender coaches, behind-the-scenes stuff, he's great. So I, I can't wait to hear his opinion on Murray. But if you're Kyle Dubas and you're sitting up there, you're looking at your team and saying, 
They're not really responding well to a team that is starting to out-physical them and just outwork them. And they sort of rested on their laurels a bit. Their blue line felt a little mismatched. They couldn't win battles down deep. Mm -hmm. They couldn't get clean exits. And they put their goaltender, who looks to be mediocre to decent, Let's, mm-hmm. if we're being complimentary of Matt Murray, I would say, yeah. they left him in a vulnerable position. And I- I'm listening to the intermission, and they're talking about how, like, I think it was Keith Yandel mentioning how Matt Murray should be the guy because he's got the pedigree. And I keep looking at it and going, when does that expire? <laughs> like, when when does that turn into, hey, maybe just he has to be the better of the guys? Yeah. I think, hold on, I got this number. I think it's five straight games. That he's let in four or more? Yeah. Five straight games where he's let four or more. Yeah. And so you can say all the, hey, what's the bad goal you want from last night? Well, five straight with four or more yeah. is really hard to <laughs> push back against. And you would assume that Samsonov's going to get the net against the Avs. Mm-hmm. That's a big spot for him to kind of quiet this whole discussion of who's going to be in yeah. the net. We have a lot of time left. There could be an injury. One guy could end up getting hot. I think they're trying to give Matt Murray as good of a shot or good as of a look as they can. But mm-hmm. to me, it just, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing a guy that is going to make you feel comfortable like you're going to win multiple playoff rounds with unless you're scoring a ton of goals or unless your team changes a little bit. And yeah, just, I again, you have to be a little gracious with a Leafs team that has won this many games this year. Yep. 88, like they were going for 90 points last night. And I went, what? <laughs> okay, right. You guys, pretty good. It's a pretty good pretty team. Pretty good team. Pretty good team. Tough to have the expectations of you win every single night. Anytime you lose, the fan base is rabble, rabble, rabble. But regular season is a test. Yep. It's just a preview of the playoffs. And sometimes when you see them lose a certain way, like they did last night, that's the fear. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a lack of engagement, a few brain farts from basically everybody on the team, from yep. Tavares down. Yeah. And some goaltending where it's four goals against, you wish you got that one big save. And you're still searching for some balance in your lineup. Yeah. Dubas had to be up there. I think you sweating that one a little bit going, I hate how this one feels. Yeah. I don't like how this one feels. I just want to go home. I want to get in bed. <laughs> I want to go to bed. I'm going to eat Oreos and fall asleep. <laughs> anyway, uh, then, so the game finishes, Leafs talk finishes, and I'm excited as it's wrapping up. I'm going, hey, Canada baseball time. And it's not often you say that. Well, I wasn't really invested mm-hmm. in the World Baseball Classic. I was sour <laughs> about the lack of commitment from Canadian players. Yep. I'm a big go play for your country guy. Sure. I, I really don't understand. And, and I'm so sick of when people make excuses for professional athletes and they go, well, it's more comfortable for them. They base, The major leagues is their priority. It's like, yeah, okay. I know that this isn't the Olympics, but it's kind of the closest thing that you have to it. All the USA guys are going. All yeah. the Dominican Republic guys are going. What makes you so special? Go pitch. And because nobody's there, Canada has to put a 19-year-old kid out against what people are calling (laughs) the greatest lineup ever assembled. Yeah, an all-star team. Multiple MVPs. That felt unfair. Poor (laughs) kid goes, I I think he only got one out. Uh, I didn't see the first inning. That's what sucked. I'm wrapping up Leafs talk. And our producer, Dave, just goes, it's 9 nothing America. And I went, well, that's fun. It was 4 nothing very quickly. Yeah, it was. And it was... Ugh. Yeah, it was Betts, Trout, and Goldschmidt right off the bat to a kid in yeah. single A right now. Poor guy. Poor kid. I know. You could see the emotion in the video, too. And then the next picture they trotted out that I watched. Because I watched I watched Canada. It was 9-1, and I went, we're the bad news bears. We're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> 
we're going to do it. it Nine nothing after the first And inning. then some <laughs> other pitcher came in there where I went, who is this man? Yeah, and he let in Throwing five junk. Runs, and five yeah, runs. bang, game was over. And I went, ah, uh, mm-hmm. going to get mercy ruled by America. Yeah. Seven, seventh inning, it was over. Yeah, awful. 12 points. Ben Nicholson-Smith at the letters, senior writer for Sportsnet. How many innings of that baseball game did you make? Well, I definitely watched the first few yeah. uh, with a similar experience <laughs> to you, J.D. Yeah. I mean, it was uh, it was exciting to know that the the these two countries were going to be facing off. And uh-huh. Canada has a good lineup. Um, but yeah, the American lineup is just so, so good. So I'd be lying if I said I saw the final out of that game. Yeah. Well, I, you, you're down in Florida right now, right? Still? I'm home. I'm oh, you're heading home? back down there uh, in less than a week. Okay. And yeah, so I'm, I'm here in Toronto now. Well, no, I was just going to say, could you imagine telling your lady friend you can't come to bed because you need to watch 12-1 Canada in the sixth <laughs> inning? You're done. Yeah. <laughs> you're not. Well, that's death. Even... Even telling myself that yeah, would be I know. a bit of a, a stretch, you know, at a, at a certain point. But, you know, it's... That's parents it's really... only watching at that point. And even then the parents are going, yeah, yeah I can't do this. It's late at night. Yeah. I, I think a, a, even a parent at the game could be excused for walking around the concourse at Chase Field. I mean, it was... The, the American team is just so good. It's... And, and you know, you mentioned the lineup. I, I was struck yesterday by the fact that Trey Turner is hitting eighth. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who's just signed a $300 million contract. I looked it up this morning. His OPS plus is just mere <laughs> points away from Vlad Guerrero Jr.'s since Vlad Jr. entered the, the league. And Trey Turner also is like one of the fastest base runners in the league and play shortstop. I mean, this is the caliber of player that he is, and he's batting eighth for the Americans. It's just a stacked lineup. Yeah, they're incredible. It was why it was kind of funny when the broadcast, I tuned in for just a little bit, and they are just heaping praise. Morosi and Buck just heaping praise on Tim Anderson for playing second base. They're going, this guy just tells you what kind of character he has. And I'm going, He's on a pretty good team. (laughs) I don't know how much of this is me reading into Tim Anderson's character so much as it is, hey, do you want to play on the most stacked team, Tim? Do you want to get in here today? Yeah, okay, well then you might have to move off of your position. That's kind of how these things work. Uh, Canada hockey, not everybody gets to play center. Not all the centermen get to play center. Some of them got to move out to the wing. Anyway, um, yeah, I don't know. The tournament kind of died for me there. I'll be honest. I, I don't, like, what do you think the odds are they can continue to move forward? They just, they don't have the pitching, dude. They don't have the pitching. I mean, it's true. And, you know, it, it's it's almost, it, it's it's inspiring or sad to watch, depending on the day, depending on the moment. Oh, that was sad. Um, that was yesterday was sad. <laughs> yeah. I saw the highlight well, of that kid getting the, like having to hand the ball to Ernie Witt and he's trying to console him. And I went, this feels like abuse. What happened here today? Yeah. This, this, well, someone I, needs a talking to, there should be an inquiry as to how this happened because this was, this may have shattered this kid's future. And credit to Ernie Witt, he seemed to handle everything with a, a lot of perspective. I mean, in those moments, it can be tough, I think, to to pull yourself out of the disappointment. But Ernie Witt seemed to really uh, be there for his his players, which is ultimately what you want in a manager, even mm. though the outcome wasn't there for Team Canada. So that was nice to see. But yeah, I mean, this team is, is built around its bats, the Canadian mm. team. They have a pretty good offensive ball club, and I've been actually pretty impressed to get to know some of these players a little bit better. Guys like Edouard Julien, um, mm-hmm. obviously you see Otto Lopez impressing from, from Jay's camp. So they've got a pretty good offensive team, but to advance, they're going to need to get some sort of pitching. And 
they really don't have it. I mean, today against Columbia, they're going to throw out another prospect. Uh, it's going to be Noah Scurro, who's a Phillies prospect. Mm. I mean, we'll see what happens. Maybe one of these guys hits at the end of the day. And against, you know, Columbia, that's a different story than facing the U.S. bats. I still think there's a pathway for Canada to advance here. Um, if they win these next two games, they they would advance. But it's going to be tough. I mean, realistically, the best teams in this tournament are probably Japan, the Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. and the Americans. Yeah, there's a bunch of pitchers on the team that are older than me. It's not good. That's just not a great yeah. place to start. Like many <laughs> older yeah. than us, Katie. I know. That's many that's what them. I'm saying. Is it makes me feel good? Where I'm like, oh, Philippe Oma, that's nice. That's he's cool. He's around. I have memories of him from a hundred years ago. Like that's not the guy that I want to see on the roster today for Canada baseball. Anyways, uh, no shame to him. And Andrew Albers, the eternal one who just will be pitching. Yeah. He will be pitching for Team Canada uh, 15 years from now, guaranteed. He'll find a way. Like he's going to be on the roster. Anyway, let's uh, move to the Blue Jays. Actually, this is a World Baseball Classic one that will tie into the Blue Jays, and then we'll pivot off of that. How uh, how are you feeling about Burrios? Because I know this is a sample size sport, but there was a lot of chatter this offseason about how he was figuring things out and he was going to have a bounce back, and then he gives up five earned runs, five hits, a couple walks. He's out in the second inning in his World Baseball Classic appearance. And when certain guys... It's it's just hard not to remember back to last year, his first start of the season as the opening day starter and go, oh, that sure sounds like the exact same guy that the Blue Jays trotted out day one that put the fear of God in anybody, everybody and didn't really recover from it. Are you buying new Barrios? Are you writing this off as a blip? What's your interpretation of what you're seeing from him? Yeah, I think it's a I think it's an important question to be asking. And and I think to start with, I mean, the the set the setting for where these guys are pitching is so important because it can vary so much. I mean, if you're facing the Czech team, maybe you're facing some electricians and teachers and, you know, you absolutely have to be dominating. You know, (laughs) that's like, there's no excuse. If you're facing the Venezuelan team, which Barrios was, then that's a team much like the American team, much like the Dominican team. It is better than a major league lineup. Like it would be as good as the Dodgers. So, okay, that's important context. But at the same time, Barrios should be able to be effective against good lineups. I mean, that's why the Blue Jays have him. He's not here to pitch against plumbers. He's here to pitch against Mike Trout. And so, you know, with that in mind, I think that we can give him a little bit of grace, but not totally write off what happened against the Venezuelan team. And, you know, I look back at that inning and wanted to sort of see if I could understand what went wrong there. And he did leave some fastballs over the plate. He did walk some guys. I will say that the home run to Santander, Santander went down and got that pitch. It was below the strike zone. So that was just a really nice piece of hitting by Anthony Santander. But, you know, Brios did get himself into trouble and there's no excuse for that. And that's not a good sign for the Blue Jays as they move forward. So I'd say there should be a little bit of concern because this is a pitcher whose fastball command was not there for him in 2022. So as the Jays move ahead, the most important thing that they could see from him is fastball command. And he didn't really display that in a, in a commanding way against the Venezuelans. Dude, you said it when him leaving fastballs, over the plate and him walking batters. That was the recipe for his nightmare season last year. And for someone that seemed to struggle with confidence a lot of the times, uh, Shulman and I actually would have a lot of discussions about this. He disagreed with me. I thought it was pretty visible that he was shaken a lot. 
Um, I was kind of hoping that he would be one of the beneficiaries of the pitch clock, just knowing, hey, like throw the ball, throw the ball. Him and Kikuchi, the guys that it got a little bit more in your head, just throw. You you don't have too much time to overthink it. You don't have too much time to just kind of sit there with your own thoughts. You have to make the decision. You have to pitch. I have to imagine that the scariest part of this is, yeah, of course, the leaving the fastballs over and having that lack of fastball command, but that he he just struggled mentally last year. It was just a guy that never felt like he had a ton of confidence. And when we saw it, it was in short blips. And to start your year off like this with the first meaningful baseball to go out and get tattooed, I'm going to be really, really interested in seeing him pitch next. Yeah, it, it will be interesting. And we'll see you know, how far Puerto Rico advances, whether it's with them, whether it's with the, the mm-hmm. Jays. Um, these are pretty high-pressure environments. I think the question of you know, how rattled Barrios got last year is, is interesting. I mean, I got the sense that, you know, compared to someone like Kikuchi, where it's, you know, it's very obvious and he's, he's spoken about this very openly where it was very difficult for him. He did let things spiral on the mound without intending to, of course, but that's the way things went. I got the sense that Barrios had his feet under him a little bit more, but there was still the disappointment. You know, there was still the confusion maybe at times as there was for those of us even observing his season just given how good he was before that so you know he's got a chance to bounce back this season but by no means is that a slam dunk guarantee he's gonna still have to command the ball better yeah and I guess that's what dawned on me what two days ago is I was kind of sitting there going boy the Jay season sure feels like there's a lot riding on you say Kikuchi bouncing back and Jose Barrios bouncing back. <laughs> that made me feel a little uncomfortable. I won't lie. Oh, yeah. And I think, you know, with with both of those guys, like you don't know what you're going to get. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be really surprised. I think with Barrios, we can say he can certainly take the ball and he mm-hmm. can certainly keep things competitive. I mean, his downside is probably like a 5 ERA, which is bad, but not the end of the world. Kikuchi, you know, the downside maybe is he's, you know, Unplayable. on the injured list. And yep. yeah, exactly. He's on the injured list in May and he's released in August. I mean, that's, you know, and that's, I mean, I'm being extreme there, but those are the sorts of possibilities that exist. And I understand too, you look around Major League Baseball, not a lot of teams are thrilled with their fifth starter. And that's what you say Kikuchi is. So it's okay to be a competitive team and to not have complete and total certainty in your fifth starter. I don't think that is inherently a problem. But it's going to be interesting. And, you know, he's been effective in spring. But you do see the walks scattering at times. That probably is a part of what Yusei Kikuchi is going to bring to the Jays. But, you know, end of the day, if he can give them four or five innings on a consistent basis where he's allowing two or three runs, that's really all they're asking for. I mean, they don't need this guy to be on Cy Young ballots at the Mm. end of the season. They just need him to be reasonably effective. Yeah, of course. And uh, just like, as you were saying that I'm going, yeah, I'm signing up for that today. Like I will sign that piece of paper. We will take that. We will submit it to whatever, you know, registrar we need to and make sure that this is done. Um, I guess my why you feel a little bit more uncomfortable with it, though, is and yeah, I don't know the pitching depth of every single organization, but Arden wrote a piece the other day. Um, I think it was. Yeah, it was about Kikuchi. And then he listed the guys behind him. And it just was not a very impressive list, nor should it necessarily be. But I don't know what the Blue Jays have in Mitch White and he hasn't been healthy. Right. So it's kind of hard to evaluate what he's going to be for them this season. Then there were a couple of names that you go, no, that can't possibly be. You can't be an injury or a Kikuchi and a Barrios away from having to 
bring one of these guys up. Obviously, Tiedemann is super interesting, but yeah, they already shut him down for a few days. Uh, I do want to ask you about that in a sec, but do you get the sense that they could still end up signing a pitcher before the season starts? Just like a depth, like somebody that has been a proven commodity in Major League Baseball just to give them a little bit more of a buffer behind some of these guys? Or is that something that happens if they do have to release Kikuchi and they feel like there's going to be enough of those dudes remaining once the season starts anyway? I think as an, as an organization, you always have to be open to adding that kind of depth and, and stashing someone at AAA. I mean, if you find a veteran pitcher who's willing to go to AAA mm. and prove himself, great. I mean, that's a sort of what they have in Drew Hutchison and Casey Lawrence, but I think you're talking about another level up. And, yeah, you know, and, and that's totally fair. <laughs> I mean, um, there's there's room to... I'm offended to, you said those names. <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, I mean, that's where they're at, right? I know. That's the, that's the level. So, yeah, if you can find a, a veteran pitcher who is, you know, more proven than those guys and who's willing to go to AAA, great. Even better than that is the guy with options who has some upside, maybe some youth, but those guys are are coveted in trades, and ideally, that's what Mitch White would be. Uh, although, you know, you'll hear, you know, questions with the health, you'll hear questions mm. with the stuff. So, Mitch White is far from a, a known commodity himself. But Mitch White ideally would be that guy who bounces back and forth with options. And as it stands, um, they don't have really a ton of starting pitching depth. That is a mm-hmm. big question on this team. It's a tough thing to go out and get, um, but. You know, if you find that guy or if you even someone on waivers, Zach Thompson's another one that Jay's got off waivers from the Pirates, and he would be firmly in that mix right now with Hutchison and Casey Lawrence. But again, the Pirates put this guy on waivers, so he is going to have to take a leap unless you're, you know, looking at someone who, again, is going to be on waivers in a few months' time. Yeah, Arden tried to give me the sales pitch for Zach Thompson, and I went, yeah, no thanks. <laughs> you can... <laughs> Yes, yeah, nice try. He's also the guy that uh, really tried to sell us all on Trent Thornton. And I went, no, thanks to then as well. And so I will be putting that in that category uh, for, for Ole's Welling there. So what do you ma- what, what are we supposed to read into the Tiedemann thing? Shoulder, shoulder soreness is supposed to kind of be, I guess, a bit of a nothing, but it's the top prospect in the organization. And it's somebody that we, I think, are having some dreams about helping out this baseball team at some point this season if all things go correct. But yeah, I remember I talked to Kylie McDaniel about two months ago, and I do remember one thing sticking out where he said, guys that throw like him, the the injury stuff is pretty spooky. And given his limited amount of innings and having it kind of start this way, it, yeah, it, 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 it has to raise a little bit of a concern, right? Of course. I think that anytime you're talking about a top prospect, I said this about the Vlad Jr. stuff too, even though you know he's really progressing well now and, and looks to be on the brink of getting back into games. And we've seen the footage of Vladdy running the bases. Mm-hmm. Great. That's that's good. Maybe the concern is gone now. But at the moment you learn that news, yeah, of course there's some concern. I mean, he's so important to this team. And I think along those lines, Ricky Tiedemann is really important to this team's future. Now, is that near future or you know more distant future or both? Hard to say, especially as he is sidelined right now with that that shoulder issue or did take a few days off. It sounds as though he's going to be out there throwing long toss and throwing a side session soon. Mm-hmm. So that's good. But if he were, like, this is not the case, but if he were someone the Jays were counting on for opening day and then he had this setback, he would not be ready for opening day. Like, it would mm-hmm. be, at this point, you know, we're two weeks out. He's not throwing in games. He's got to build back up a little bit he's 20 years old. You're not going to push it. So 
this is a significant enough injury, seemingly, that his chances of of being ready for March 30th, April 1st, are are diminishing. And this is a pitcher right now who's who you want to be cautious with, even if it's minor, you don't want to push him. So it makes sense. I'm not saying that there's it's time to raise all kinds of alarms here, but yeah, it's something to monitor because he did max out at 79 innings last year. You probably want to push that to 110 this season mm-hmm. um, and, and go from there. So this is not ideal. Okay, so I'm trying to search for the word that's between counting on and hoping for because there's you, you can't count on a 20-year-old kid with that limited of experience to be helping a team that's trying to win a World Series this year. But hoping also feels too light where you say, yeah, they're hoping for lots of things to happen. <laughs> They're hoping anybody shows up and can impact the baseball team this year. So whatever it is between in, somewhere in that middle, is that what you think this Blue Jays organization is planning for him this year? Or do you think that in conversations with people, it really is way more of a long shot that we see him as a Toronto Blue Jay this this year? I don't think it's a long shot. I Mm. think it's a realistic outcome, which is wild because, again, he's 20 years old. And, you know, Nate Pearson debuted at 23. Alec Manoa, for all of the speed um, and and the impressive ascent that Alec Manoa had, he debuted at 23 because he came came out of college. So, you know, Tiedemann at 20 years old, that is young. And the, the reason that Blue Jays people are so excited about him. Obviously, it's the stuff. I mean, he's throwing 97 to 99. He's got this great changeup and this great slider. When he's attacking hitters in the zone, he has the potential to be a dominant pitcher. And so it's very easy as a as a major league coach to look at that stuff, to look at the swings that it can generate against real major league hitters like Javi Baez and Austin Meadows and say, this guy has a, has a spot on our pitching staff. Because, you know, let's face it, end of the summer, your major league team is getting worn out. You know, you've got someone hit, hitting the injured list and your choice at that point is, let's say it's Zach Thompson or Ricky Tiedemann, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, major league coaches go for the guy with the electric arm and try to figure out um, some of those some of those other factors on the fly. Now, there are valid player development arguments to be made for making sure that Tiedemann is fully ready and the Blue Jays by and large are a player development organization so they're not going to rush him but I do think that if he gets to a point that he is consistently throwing strikes and attacking hitters and just laying waste to the competition because his stuff in the zone is that good then I don't see any reason that they would hold him back like it's not going to be service time if he's ready and that's a big if we're a long way from that point but if he's ready I I could see him impacting this team by June by July. I love that. Especially this, this is actually an old NS thing, but it's the, it's something I definitely agree with, which is being overly cautious with arms like this is, can, can be a bit of a mistake. If you've got the guy and he's got that arm and he can do the job, then worry about the injury stuff later. Of course you try to listen to your sports science departments, but man, get what you can. You know, get what you can from somebody while also trying to balance that. Just not don't put it so much in one bucket where you're overthinking it, over concerned about it. And then you end up missing out on what could end up being, yeah, a time where this guy ends up helping you win the most. Okay. So last one for me, spring is always where we're talking about, okay, who's injured, who's new. Um, yeah. What are the new rules? Uh, how do the bubble guys look on the roster? 
But Springer's hot and Bichette hit two home runs yesterday. And we don't, like, again, this is stuff that no one really ever cares about because you go, okay, prove it in the regular season. But it did get me thinking, is there somebody that is having a spring that is making you feel like, oh, yeah, actually, this is something worth noting, who's an actual, like, meaningful impact player on this team? Yeah, I think, I don't know why my mind is going to Otto Lopez, maybe because we've Mm. seen him in the Canada games, but I I do think that he's a guy who will see some real playing time on this team, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, you look at every major league team is going to have to go down their depth chart, and the nice thing about Lopez is he can play multiple positions, infield or outfield. So, you know, he's, in my opinion, someone who who could, whether it's opening day or not, doesn't really matter. Um, But I think in the course of the season, he's going to get reps in a more meaningful way than he did last year when he was very much on the fringes of things, more of a taxi squad guy. But, you know, much in the same way that Santiago Espinal has become a very useful player, Otto Lopez has that path available to him. And I'm not saying he's going to be an all-star in a couple of years. I mean, if he can just hold his own, you know, and be a valuable, versatile player who, who, you know, maybe has a league average bat, maybe even a little worse than league average, mm. that would be huge for the Jays. So I, I, I'm keeping an eye on him as spring develops here. Mm. When you talk about him, it makes me think too about how that's what they want for Whit Merrifield. And yeah, if he hits, be fine. If he can bounce back and be more of the guy that he was at the end of the year for the Jays versus the guy they acquired from the Royals and who first started off here. But I guess... That made me think about how the Jays been get caught stealing a bunch. Turns out the bigger bags for this baseball team, like they got to make them bigger. <laughs> the Jays are not having the sweetest of times so far. And I feel like that's something that might not change. And this is a team that is apparently trying to be more aggressive on the base paths this year. That's sort of one of the John Schneider things. And yeah, yeah, yeah. you think that gets dialed back a little bit here? What are we? What are we to make of them just being out all the time when they try to run from first to second. Well, I think it's the ideal time to try it and sure. just go for it. Cause it does, it truly could not matter less. I mean, it's, it's a great way to, to learn your own limits on the base paths. Um, they really are not a big base stealing team. And I'm looking at it now. Their leader in steals last year was actually George Springer, which yeah. is kind of remarkable considering, you know, how many injuries he dealt with, just minor stuff, but he still stole 14 bases for them. So I, I think, you know, moving ahead here, clearly someone like Varsho brings more speed. Um, you know, Kiermaier's not going to steal a ton of bases, but he's more of that type of player. So I, I think Bichette has has looked very aggressive in spring on the bases. Um, and I think you want to do it selectively, but end of the day it's a great weapon and i think across the league it's one of the one of the best things about these new rule changes i love stolen base attempts it's always fun yeah. to see maybe you get a little bobble a little error you get some activity happening i, I think that's great for the game um and for the jays it doesn't look like a huge burning team mm-hmm. um but i'm all for it if they can if they can find some ways to do that no i'm all for it i just i i think i got my hopes up a little bit too much about it because there was a lot of buzz about the bags and then they went hey merrifield and Bo and springer and they're gonna be more aggressive this season and varsho's here and i went okay maybe these, yeah bgo and then yeah bgo got brought up a lot at kiermeyer and i went okay 
maybe this is going to be a team that does this. And then all I've seen is I check the box score. I watch a little bit. They're out, 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 you're out. <laughs> I go, okay, that's maybe. And with the Whit Merrifield one is especially, I think, a bit concerning because that's been one of the major things about him over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it seems like he is slowing down. I don't, I, I think this was actually Blake. I saw a tweet the other day where he was tweeting about it. It's like the, it seems like the sprint times for Bichette have dropped off and he's still in his prime as an athlete. So that one's a little bit confusing, but yeah, I guess maybe I'm reading into a little bit. Yeah. All right. Do it all you want in the spring, but maybe they're not going to be as effective at it. Uh, yeah. Come meaningful baseball time. Uh, Benny, thanks for coming on today. I also loved your tweet about watching world baseball classic without pitch clock. It's, it's amazing that already I was like, I thought it was going to take me a while to get used to the pitch clock. And now it turns out I am in this world where I'm completely entitled with everybody else going, why didn't we do this the whole time? <laughs> this should have been oh. here the entire time. What were we ever thinking to not have this beautiful, glorious, important thing? It, I really do believe that it's going to, of course, it's going to change baseball. But now even the youngs like Jobo, all the youths, they might be able to sit through a baseball game. Like you oh, could do it, Joe. It's- it's honestly, it's so good. Like, yes, I, I agree with you. I can't believe we didn't have this for the last, like, especially in the last, like, five, ten years. Games have gotten really long. Oh. I mean, it's it's incredible. This is honestly, it's unlike anything I've seen in my lifetime because you look at the the time of game back to when it was two hours, 35 minutes. You have to go, like, to 1981, you know, to get to that point when major league games took that long. So even if in the regular season, like let's say it lands at 240, mm -hmm. that is just incredible. What an amazing time of game. Like that would be so, so good. You're at the Rogers center. It's 945. The game wraps up. Like, oh, that is just, and that's a normal game to say nothing of a quick game where it winds up at 925. Like this is, I think it's just a great development for the game because you still in that time period have all the action, all the yes. excitement, all the talent is on display. It's just, you're losing nothing. Manny, I get in the vapors as you're saying that. <laughs> it's just, it sounds so great. As somebody who watches every game and you understand this, yeah, oh, yeah. I, I don't need a 3.5 hour game in the middle of the season as we are seeing the Orioles for the 12th time. You know, I, I'm good. Wrap it up. Let us go home. Uh, ben Nicholson-Smith at The Letters, senior writer for Sportsnet. Thanks for coming on today, man. Thanks, JD. Anytime. See you soon. Uh, there's Ben Nicholson-Smith, one of the best. Go subscribe to his podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at JD Bunkus. Both of them. Reach out anytime during the show. Uh, I, I got a bunch of messages. I, I got to get through the inbox. I know I've, I've let some of them pile up. I will, I will get to some messages today. Um, let's take a quick break. There's a couple things that I want to hit on. One is just... Do we really need to have the second GM meetings in hockey if this is what's being discussed? And two, how important is this next set of games for the Raptors' best player? That's next. Sportsnet 590. 590. The fan. All right, so just a couple of quick things here before we get to our best bet brought to you by Batano. So... These are the things that are on the docket at the GM meetings for the NHL right now. Mm -hmm. Should they be reviewing high stick, more review for over the glass, and should they make sure that the players wear 
more protective gear when it comes to vulnerable areas that can get cut, like the anti-cut stuff mm-hmm. for skate injuries. Yeah. What a league. <laughs> what a league. Like they're all getting down. They're all going to the resort, hanging out. Yeah. We got to cover this. I went, I'm, I'm watching the coverage and I'm reading articles and I'm going, what, what am I missing here? Is there, is that all? Couldn't that be an email? Yeah, that could be an email for sure. That Couldn't could be this an be an email, folks? That could be an email. You all got to get together and discuss whether or not you should use more review yeah. for reviewable plays and whether guys should be more safe very easily. That should just be a group chat. Yep, agree. Come on. Like, I, I know I've been hard on the NHL lately, but just yeah. can we just have a little bit more creativity than this? Yeah. Can we just put in the effort to just try just a touch of trying to make this game a little bit better rather than those things. Although the review of the high stick thing is in the game yesterday, the Leafs get a power play because Nolachari basically got his teeth taken out yeah. because of a high stick that was only in the middle of the ice, like only right in the smack dab middle of the ice where the play was going and all the officials missed it, but that's fine. Either way, I just, come on, email. That can't be the GM meetings. I, I, <laughs> yeah. need, I need something. Lie. Make something up that you don't even discuss, that you put Just out to the public. Expansion Leak or something. something. Leak Unbelievable. Something yeah. Just, well, I, I saw like, there was a shot of them like walking into the meetings, stuff like that, yeah, during like, the Leafs oh. game last night. And I was like, oh, GM meeting. So I looked yeah. it up, and I was like, this is what they're yeah. doing? They're not all together. Well. <laughs> I, was, I thought there was like something big. What I was is like, people, oh, what GM are, What are all we thinking here? <laughs> Do we want people cut less? And yeah. Like, like, you guys want to play golf tomorrow know, morning? Some guys go, I don't know. <laughs> Seems like people would have to wear it. I don't know. When's my tea time? Yeah. Then what else? Reviewing the high stick? Well, what would happen? What would it even look like? How would we implement this into the game? Less review always, by the way. It's just, yeah. again, human error. Let it happen. Anyway, Raptors back at it tonight. They're playing Jokic. Mm. He's in town. That's fun. That I'm jealous fun. of the people that are going to tonight's game. That's a good game to go to. The only thing is, is that the Raptors have kind of done a pretty good job of bottling Jokic up because they have OG Ananobi, who really does seem to give him fits compared to just about anybody else in the league. Like he's strong enough to keep him from going to all of his spots with ease. Mm-hmm. Raptors do a lot more than just send OG at him, right? They, they do a lot, but he's a good denier of the basketball. He's quick and he's long enough that if you try to throw something in soft to Jokic, he can jump it. He can make a play and take it the other way. Again, doesn't let him get to every single area he wants to. Does a great job fronting him. A really impressive stuff from OG Ananobi lately defensively. Like, go through his game logs and the players that he was the primary defender on. Mm -hmm. And it's a bunch of guys had bad nights. Yeah, it was like Beal, Beal, DeMar, Jokic right in a row there. And then OG is the night where I think, what did he start? 10-10? 10-10? 11-11? Yeah, I think it was 11-11. Yeah. yeah. It was on fire. Awesome. He ruined it, though, because he threw down a garbage time dunk at the very end. It was the lamest thing I've seen the Raptors <laughs> do all season. <laughs> all, like, really, you, all season. Dude, what are you doing? Yeah. Lakers fans booed him, and I went, you you actually can't do that, man. Not there. Yeah. Not in front of an educated, yeah. big-time, spotlight crowd. Mm-hmm. You go up and throw that dunk down? I cringed. I went, why? <laughs> they were all remembering your awesome game, and then you went up for a cheap 30, and yeah. now that's going to be the memory people have of you is boo. Yeah. You just 
there's certain things you don't do in sports, and that's absolutely one of them. And I know there's going to be some crybaby listening to this right now that's going to hit me up in the mention. Be like, why wouldn't he get stats? He gets paid off. He doesn't get paid off of one extra dunk. And they go, you saw that 30-piece against the Lakers, right? It was 29 before, but now it's 31. <laughs> so it completely changed the contract. Anyway, quit play or don't quit playing until the whistle stops. No, no, no. You absolutely don't do that. It sucked that he did that. Mm-hmm. So he's been playing well. Pirtle's been playing well. The Raptors have been overall being pretty awful. The bench has taken a ton of heat. Nick Nurse even called them out very harshly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although the bench sucks, so I don't really know what calling them out does. Yeah. He's going to bring Christian Coloco back is the thing, and they're going to move Precious Achua to play more minutes at the wing, and they're going to have Will Barton play more point guard. Great. A lot of <laughs> Will Barton chucking from the second unit is what you can expect. A guy who was waived. Yeah, by the team they're playing tonight. So, I don't know if there's a solution to the bench, but there is a solution for the guy who's been the team's best player, someone who's been All-NBA and someone who was playing at that caliber for a lot of the season in Pascal Siakam. And he's coming back from this road trip where his numbers were really bad. And and this was the story that I thought got lost a little bit in some of these games. And I don't really generally like tweeting too much negative stuff about the Raptors because just whatever it's, you're kicking them while they're down. Yeah. And so season. much of the fan base doesn't even want to hear it that you just go, what's even the point of this? Right. True. But I like a lot of these games when people were freaking out about the bench, a lot of these games when people were freaking out about the officiating. I was going, Maybe you just need your team's best player to not look completely exhausted, worn out, and not the same guy. So on this trip, um, the guy's averaging less than 16 a game, Mm -hmm. less than six rebounds, and five assists on 42% shooting. And you go, that's nice numbers for, like, Scotty Barnes. Uh, Yeah. It's not really great numbers for Pascal Siakam, who has been shooting 47% this year, scoring almost 25 a game, getting two more rebounds and an extra assist. Playing at an all-NBA level. Yeah. And here's the thing, too, that I've really noticed with his game lately is defensively, he has had a massive slip. Hmm. This is someone when he first came into the league, I remember interviewing Jerry Stackhouse, who was his coach for the G League, And Stackhouse saying that he was the best defender that the Raptors would have currently had while he was still in the G League. Granted, this is a little while ago, but he's not a sieve defensively. This isn't someone that you're supposed to cover for. And noticing a lot more just mediocre to poor performances from Siakam where he's getting blown by, where he's the point of the defense breaking down. And I don't know if it is because the Raptors have played him too much. I've I've said in the past that we take for granted what a great athlete he is just Mm -hmm. because he's not this power dunker, right? He's a really good size. He's lean, but man, he can just, he can run. Mm -hmm. He is speed demon. He's quick. He mostly stays healthy, like very, very athletic guy. And I wonder if the Raptors have actually run him into the ground a little bit. If this is maybe just a having trouble fitting with Jakob Pertl being a real significant piece of the offense now, and the Fred Van Vliet, Jakob Pertle pick and roll being so effective that he's becoming more of a peripheral player who has to kind of force his offense at times. This has always been one of the things with the Raps, though, is it never feels like all the pieces offensively fit together. So OG's having some good games. Scotty's having some good games. Uh, Pertle and Van Vliet pick and roll is starting to work. Mm-hmm. And then 
two guys end up phased out where Gary Trent Jr. has been struggling. Yeah. And Siakam feels like he's been struggling. Yeah. And this has been one of my contentions with the Raptors all year long is, yeah, they do have good individual players. When Masai went up to the podium after the deadline and said, well, maybe if everybody wants our players, it means they're good. Yeah, sometimes you can have too much of one thing and your pieces don't fit together. Yeah. And that's always how I felt watching the Raptors. It's it's not very often where you feel like that team is just offensively a cohesive unit. Yes, great. It mm-hmm. feels discombobulated. The yeah. defense at times when they lock in, yeah. like they actually did for a quarter against the Lakers the other night, mm-hmm. you go, damn, that's It can be real. overwhelming, yeah. Yeah, they can be really impressive, yeah. especially yeah. with Pirtle in there now too, where you get to the basket after grinding through all of these dudes and OG yeah. and Adobe's out there and they're all locked in. Fred Van Vliet's swatting at basketballs and then all of a sudden Pirtle's down there and he blocks a shot and you go, damn, yeah. mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. You could see that. Offense has never really felt that way. No, and Siakam's still uh, like le- leading the league in minutes per game. Yeah, like, and, and I mean the plays so much, so much. And the second unit had had. I mean, it still is, but it had been a story the whole year, right? Of yeah. like, we need to get some guys in who can give these starters a blow here and, and there. And I mean, that. no, well, so, they're going to try like that with you, Precious. It's almost like you can't even blame Nick for playing them forty-five well, minutes a game. It's, you can and you can't because you, you can this and you is, can't. It's, well, you can make the case that some of those guys not getting any consistent minutes. And having such a right. quick trigger yeah. has been part of the reason why they're not developing. Like, I I still believe Precious Achua can be an effective NBA player. Me too. I think people got way too high on him in some regards mm-hmm. because of the one thing that I don't think you can teach so much, which is hands. And I, I'm not sure he'll ever have hands. And, and that just matters. I don't need him to be Jakob Pertl, but I need him not to be complete salmon hands, which he just has been. For basically, well, not for basically for his NBA career. Yeah, he's just not good at catching it and maintaining it in a good spot. Like they always teach bigs, right? Catch the ball up high, hold it hold high, it high. Yeah. and don't like drop it. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, have a move or two. And don't drop the ball. Yeah, he's not smooth offensively like that. Yeah. Um, defensively, you can see it. It's just the floor is very, very high for the defense. It's the offensive yeah. stuff. We'll see. Anyway, they're going to move him out to the wing. Maybe that's a solution to give Siakam a bit of a blow. But, yeah, that's where you're caught between two difficult things right now, which is either you're playing this guy who what, – what's most likely that this isn't impacting him at all, being the number one minutes played guy in the NBA, someone that doesn't take rest nights in a league mm. of load management, the one guy who doesn't really ever do it? <laughs> When's had Siakam ever had a load management game outside of maybe the Florida season? Like, been a long I don't time. remember Siakam ever having a load management game. Yeah. yeah. So you're either deciding between that, running him further into the ground as you're in this playoff chase where you're really trying to eke your way into the play-in because obviously they care about that now. Yeah. Even though I still hope that they end up with a better lottery pick. I just, they're not going anywhere. They're not, (laughs) they're not winning the East. So I don't, if you're still talking yourself into them beating the wizards in a play-in game, having a ton of value to you, all the credit to you. I'm not there. Um, I also think it actually makes it easier if the Raptors just don't have a false run, which has been part of their season where they'll do the fake comeback. Oh, right? yeah. And that's, that's kind of where it feels like they're going with this fake playoff run where all of a sudden you see the Raptors winning a play-in and then getting into a series with, like, I don't know, the Celtics. And then they take it to six and, Yeah, games exactly. And, and then like, all yeah, of a sudden yeah. people are going, well, maybe you got to, and then you bring back this team. No, 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 no. So that's kind of my nightmare. Anyway, um, it's time for Best Bets brought to you by Botano, the 2022 Global Sports Betting Operator of the Year. How many offerings tonight, Joe, on this Raptors game? 504. 504. It's <laughs> a lot. 504. Yeah. 500. And 504 at Botano tonight. Yeah. 
That's like, like, will Jakob Pertl clip his nails <laughs> during the game? What color laces yeah. will Pertl wear? Um, my bet is Pertl related. So he's averaging almost 17 a game in his last 10. And the folks at Batano have him at 13 and a half points. I just like the over. Mm. I think that what you saw in that last Raptors game is going to be something that you continue to see tonight, which is they want to make Jokic work. That is the formula for them. If Jamal Murray hits a million tough shots and so does Michael Porter Jr., which is what happened in the last game, they'll live with that. Yeah. What mm-hmm. they like doing is involving Jakob Pertl and sorry, Nikolai Jokic in a lot of pick and rolls and then throwing OG and Anobi on him. I actually, I don't recommend this bet as much, but I did look at the numbers for, like, I, I don't think this is the worst spot to fade Jokic. Scoring at least. Yeah. yeah. I it's 17 and 13 against the Raptors last time. Yeah, just the, the OG thing really had, this has not been a one-off situation. OG mm-hmm. has defended him twice now on his home floor and looked extremely effective at doing it. I would imagine that it's going to be fairly similar tonight. I normally don't like those bets of going under on superstar players, especially yeah. MVP candidates. Yeah. So that's not my pick, but I think Pirtle's going to score tonight. I think that he's just going to be able to get to the rim. He's going to have some pick and roll opportunities. He's going to have some putback opportunities. He's going to play a bunch of minutes for the Raptors tonight. And yeah, that the, the chemistry between he and Fred Van Vliet's very real. Yeah. Um, he's been shooting his free throws better lately. I just, I'm in on this. I think that this number is a little too low. I would have probably bet it at 14 and a half, 15 and a half. So I'll happily take the 13 and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is best bets brought to you by Botano. The game starts now. Uh, check out Botano, by the way, again, for all your March Madness betting. It's there. Uh, I didn't have a March Madness pick tonight, but I probably will later. So, yeah, once I talk to Daniele. <laughs> once, I talk to da- once I talk, although he's led me astray so many times. It's, I oh, just told you? He's th- thrown you for a yeah, little? Yeah, well, the thing about college basketball is you could be the biggest sharp. There's the whole reason why this tournament exists, yeah. why it's so funny. And so, yeah, I, you get picks on this and you go, this is a lock. This guy knows college hoops. And then he's by 15 points and you're like, great. <laughs> and blew it. He did have Kansas last year. It's a credit to him. Woo. <laughs> Who didn't have Kansas last year? What are we talking about? I didn't have Kansas last year. All right. Year. Anyways, quick break. Let's come back. Let's talk uh, about Matt Murray and Ilya Samsonov with the best Kevin Woodley. Grab us. All right. You've been listening to me for a while. Then you know that my next guest is one of my favorites. As a huge goaltending fan, former Team Yukon goaltender. No, not to brag. <laughs> Settle down, everyone. Uh, I love getting to talk to the goalie guru, NHL.com, in Goal Magazine. Uh, it's Kevin Woodley. What's up, brother? How are we doing? I'm just inserting the coffee now, so it might be a little mellower, a little less animated than nice. I typically am when we talk talk goaltending. So just, just struck seven out here on the West Coast. Yeah. So I, bear with me, guys. Bear I can, with me. I can never believe you do it. I'm always like, we offer the tape. Like, we'll do a better time where you don't have to... For me, waking up at 7 a.m. and having to talk to people, that's trauma. That is not... I had to get off the morning show for this exact reason. Every single morning, I'd wake up and be like, no, 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 no. And then you have to be coherent. It's really not easy. Okay, so um, Matt Murray. This is somebody that we talked about before the season, and it was a lot of, hey, he's probably going to have to make some stylistic adjustments. And I'm curious if you're seeing that from him this year, whether or not you're seeing a new version of a Matt Murray or if you're seeing the old version, because, yeah, the guys let in four or more in all five of his last games. Um, Stylistically, has he changed anything to you? 
Yeah, like, I actually, it's funny because I feel like it's come and gone a little bit. Um, there's times, like the first game of the season, I saw the, I saw the old Matt Murray, and I'm like, ooh, like, where did that come from? Because this transformation started in Ottawa, and what the hell is going on here? Like, everything was locked in low and wide. I watched last night. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have not watched all of those five games with four goals or more. Sure. Uh, watched him here in Vancouver, his first start back live. I watched him last night, though. Um, you know, ye, knowing this call was coming this morning, you gave me an excuse to just sit down and watch the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really liked, uh, not to go Sheldon Keefe on this, but I actually really liked uh, a lot of elements of his game, and I and I did see some of those changes. Like, like when people are like, old, new, what are we looking for here? It's the stance. Like, it's the setup. It's the initiation point of everything he does is, is a lot narrower now. Uh, feet more underneath him, not spread out, dug in low and wide. Uh, and, and that's the way he played in Pittsburgh. And it's a way as the game becomes more lateral, you just can't get away with it anymore. Um, we got a goalie coach uh, who's been around a long time, one of the top ones in the league, and one of the lines he likes to say, actually Ian Clark here in Vancouver, so would have been you know a, a mentor to Curtis Sanford. Um, and he always says, too wide, too low, too soon. Because as soon as you get your legs sort of spread out you know, too wide, too far apart underneath you, especially early in a sequence. If you think about the way you generate movement as a goaltender, the way you generate power as a goaltender, it's by pushing, right? Like, like, like it's whether it's a T push or a shuffle and the further out we've got those legs to start, the less power we have to push. The chances are we've got those edges more dug into the ice. So not only do I have, say I'm going to my left, I don't have much extension left with my right leg if it's way out there, but also I got to sort of pull up that left side to disengage the edge before I push. And so, you know, staying tall and narrow longer in sequences is a trend we've seen around the league and doing so allows you to sort of beat more of this East West stuff, arrive set, arrive square. Um, when Matt gets locked in and plays get in tight, like every move is slide right drops to drops a knee and slides east west instead of beating it on your feet and when you talk to guys around the league as the, as the league has changed and become so dynamic um it, that's that's a key like the ability to beat plays on your skates not on your knees is huge and so i, I still do see that change as something that's happening and, and maybe it's not as consistent all the time as you like mm-hmm. but i see it as a positive where where things tend to go back the old way is <clears throat> when he does get down you know, into save execution and into his stance, um, he still gets pretty low. And after that, um, I'm trying to think of which goal it was uh, last night, um, it sort of rebound off to his right. Like, I'd still like to see him stay over top of his knees and a little more in control longer in sequences. So so once you are down, once you are sort of in, in that butterfly um, and in that wider stance, can you make a quick recovery push and stay upright over top of your knees, torso high, uh, thighs high, uh, hips high, as opposed to reaching and getting spread out. And I think that's, that's one area in sort of east, west in tight scrambles where you sort of see him still, still sort of get, get wide, get extended and end up quite often pitch forward or reaching rather than, you know, you think of like uh, a goalie over top of his knees, just pushing from side to side from his knees and, and, and not over committing as he does the ability to stay mobile while you're down on your knees. Guys like you or Shisterkin are, are doing it at a level that, 
you know, some people call a hovercraft when he's out there on the ice. And, yeah. and that's definitely not that. So that's one of, one of the areas that even, even last night it was noticeable at times where um, you've sort of got one push, one move, and then you're into reaching and, and laid out. I'd, I'd like to see him be able to, you know, stay over top of those knees a little more, a little longer in sequences. But I honestly, like, I didn't, I didn't mind his guy. No results aside, didn't mind his game last night. And yet mm. it's a results business. It hasn't trended well of late. And, you know, if playoffs were to, if they drop the pucks on playoffs tomorrow, um, you'd have a tough decision there in Toronto. Yeah. So last night was actually his best game in a little while. I felt bad for him because thought he played pretty well and even listening to his post game he was trying to do the thing uh where you don't make excuses uh, but you could tell even just from the way he was talking he felt fine with the way that he played and he went yeah i gotta make the one extra save that one right where you're putting it on yourself but you're also kind of giving yourself a little bit of a pat in the back he was solid um i will say that this is coming off of one of his worst games as a maple leaf on saturday night where he played the oilers and it was a lot of the stuff, actually, that you were mentioning there. Uh, getting too low, getting too wide, overcommitting on some plays. And the thing that's been really noticeable with him, I think, from a layman's term standpoint, that, that people are really wondering and that I, I wonder if you will either validate or kind of push back on is whether or not the athleticism is still there to play at the highest of levels. Because, yes, when he does get low, and a lot of times where he is in that butterfly, where he has to make that push across his crease, um, it doesn't seem like it's at all explosive, especially when you compare it to someone like Samsonov in the net. Like, and yeah, they're two different guys and whatever. You can make the case, uh, I, I guess, for either one. But that is where it looks like Matt Murray is not the same guy that he used to be. What do you just think of his athleticism now playing the position? Well, okay, so we talked about sort of one move and done sometimes. And again, that's that's overly critical. It's not all the time, but at times where you've got that one push and then you're extending, you're reaching, you're not staying over top of your knees and balance. So you have another move left. Um, like there's, you know, there's, you know, it's funny. One of the things I was going to say is like, like picking, picking your starter might depend on your opponent. Um, you know, I think he's better equipped to keep up with the pace of a team like the Edmonton Oilers. And that's a high, that's a high pace. Um, from his feet than he was before. Uh, but when things get scrambly uh, down low and tight and, and it gets dynamic east west, I, I, can, I can totally see where that would happen. I watched you know, pieces of that game against the Oilers, but I had to cover a Canucks game afterwards. So I was on my way to the rink and didn't see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and, and that, that makes sense. Like w- what you see, that's what makes sense. I would, however, I'd caution sometimes, sometimes a goalie looks busy. And we confuse it for fast. Mm. Um, and there's, a, I think there's an element of, like when Matt's on, I think there's an element of control that's just fine. It's not going to look explosive. It's not going to look as fast. Like there's elements of Samsonov's game that are going to look fast, but there's also a, you know, like every time he goes east-west because of that narrow butterfly, there's extra moving parts. Like there's a, there's a bigger recovery process for him. Quite often when he's got the pinballs going in there and he's, and he's kicking one out, like we talked about this earlier, like, does it, can he develop more width in his butterfly flare so that when he makes a left pad save in tight, he doesn't have to kick at it because as soon as he has to kick at it now, in order to move to his left, he's got to recoil it and then regather his right leg and then push. And so there is going to be more moving parts to Samsonov going east to west than there is to Matt Murray. When he does it, it's going to look a little smoother and, and, and in some ways a little slower for Matt, you know, I'd love to put a stopwatch on it because I'm not sure it's 
as dramatic as it may appear to the eye. That said, I guess one of the things that Samsonov does well, despite you know those you know frankly delays that I talk about uh, in his east-west movement, he still does it pretty quick, right? And so his transitions down and across too. You know, he's got a lot of power there. Um, it's the reason he's been able to sort of overcome some of the missing elements in his game physically. Some of the, you know, some of the physical attributes in terms of length and width. Uh, we all look at height, um, but but it's more about what you can do with that height. Can you extend it uh, with without sort of sort of coming apart? Uh, do you have you know what goalie scouts would or some would call length? And Samsonov doesn't, and sort of his ability to overcome that is in part because there is, you know, a, a, a dynamic and explosive athleticism to him. But side by side, like, and this is why, when, again, what makes the any decisions as we head into the playoffs so fascinating because not only do they play different mm-hmm. and look different, the results, what they're succeeding against, are very different, and so. You know, I think this very much could come down to a, a matchup and, and what the other team does well or what you struggle to prevent against the other team, more to the point. Um, and do you see the other team start to exploit strengths and weaknesses at any point in a series, and are you willing to flip the switch and give them a completely different look, a guy who is better against one thing but maybe not as good at the other? Because there are discrepancies both to the eye test as you talk about there's also discrepancies in terms of the results from one guy to the other not just overall Samsonov's having a better year right now as Matt has trended down since he came back and that's the thing like this is going to be about the next month the next three weeks like because Matt's at the beginning of the year after beyond the first game once he came back from the first injury posted some really nice results for for a stretch there and you can get him back to that and I would suggest there were positive signs last night then he becomes a much better option than he might be or he might appear right now. But even within that, I don't think this is a year. And they're not the only team. Like, look at Minnesota. Probably a better problem to have because they've got one of the best goalies in the entire league all season in Gustafson. And since mid-December, our country flurries right there with him. Look at the Bruins with Swayman and Allmark. Like, there's a lot of teams that, man, if there's ever going to be a year, and maybe this is just wishful thinking because I've been hoping for it for close to a decade now, but where we actually see tandems in the regular season translate to tandems in the in the playoffs, mm. this is it. And I think the Leafs probably have to – I would hope they're considering themselves one of those teams whereby even if they think they've got the right guy to start, there needs to be a willingness to adjust on the fly here and maybe even go back and forth. Um, so I'm curious to see how that transpires. Yeah, I think that if there's any certainty that I have when it comes to goaltending because, yeah, it's been so hard to predict – that that's the one thing I I feel the most certain about. That if one guy has a bad game against Tampa, I think you'll see the other guy in net the very next night. Like, I, I don't think that there's going to be very much of a leash here. But when you're talking about, I was hoping maybe you could elaborate on, yeah, the, the differences in terms of what they both do well and just how that might operate in a series against Tampa. Because I think that for this team, it's like, yeah, you can't be thinking about um, anything beyond that at this point because you're locked into that exact matchup. Yeah, no, and, and so, and I probably should have, you know, like, future exercise here, maybe right before the series starts, I can, I, can, I can pull up sort of what Tampa does well, how they generate goals, how they succeed, and, and try and sort of overlay that and match that. And, um, like, right now, where, where Samsonov's numbers sort of bleed into the red and where he's, where he's underwater is, you know, 
um, slot area, clear-sighted shots. Um, not terrible on the clear sight, slot area, not so great. So if you're going to give up the house a little bit and give up some open looks, even without dynamic passing before it, um, you know, which, which a lot of times, you know, and, and frankly, a lot of models look at, look at anything in that house and they're like, that's a high-danger chance, and like some of them are even low-danger. Uh, if they don't have element, other elements like pre-shot movement, uh, lateral plat passes, screens, things like that, um, and his numbers are, are sort of you know on the wrong side of, of expected there. Slot area especially, like significantly so. Um, slot line plays east west across the middle of the ice. Like it's funny you talk about how much faster he looked, and yet those are numbers for him that are below expected. Whereas Matt Murray on slot line plays is almost the same amount above expected, right? So sometimes it looks faster, but is it as effective? Is it as efficient? Uh, but the areas where Samsonov excels compared to Matt, um, you know, a lot of dynamic stuff on broken plays, rebounds, and there's counterintuitive, right? I talked about the extra moving parts that he has when he's kicking at pucks and how that delays recovery. Well, his rebound numbers are just fine. Um, broken plays where, you know, pucks are hitting bodies, legs in front. Uh, again, plays that require athleticism and instinct to recover from. Because goalies like, like, we don't like rebounds, but I'll take a rebound over a broken play every day because that puck hit me and I can feel it and I should know where it's headed next. The broken play is the one that hits the screen in front of you and squirts out to the side. Chances are, because there's all those bodies there, you didn't see it. And you can get to feel where it's going next, right? So those are the tougher ones. And Samsonov's numbers on broken plays, yeah, they're off the charts. They're really good. Like, like his overall sort of where he is on the season in terms of positive metrics, the two things that have him there are one-timers and broken plays. So, um, you know, there's, is, are these perfect answers? Do they solve everything when you look at these type of numbers and they're like, ah, this is the goalie for us in this matchup? No, like like there's there's elements of variances within this. Like there's only so many of each type of shot that you see over the course of an entire season. But they, can they help sort of make you make some of those decisions? Yeah, maybe maybe so. And um, you know, again, it'll be the other one too is you know low percentage goals. Um, Samsonov is really good. Yeah. at the tough stuff. It's the low percentage stuff that's hurt him this year. Like he's 12 low percentage goals on the year, all his numbers on low percentage stuff. And that's the clear sight stuff. Uh, some of the slot area stuff, um, like his numbers are below expected on low percentage, but on the hot, the really tough stuff, that's actually where he excels statistically this season. So what are you giving up against Tampa Bay? Can you control play to the point where what you, all you need out of your goaltender and chances are it's the lightning, and chances are they're going to go on the power play at some point, so you're probably going to need some tough saves. But if you're controlling a series, and mm. it's more what you can't survive is the back-breaking one that shouldn't go in, that sags a whole bench. And I haven't checked with Valaket. All these numbers I'm setting are from ClearSight Analytics. I haven't checked with Steve uh, in the last little while to see if this number still holds true at this level. But there was a point when this was all being developed in the last couple of years where that low percentage goal, like if your goalie gives one up, you lose 87% of those games unless the guy at the other end reciprocates. And guess who ain't reciprocating in the Tampa Bay series? Yeah. Right? And so (laughs) Matt's better at not giving up the low percentage stuff. Samsonov's better at stopping the high percentage stuff. What do you need more in that series? Chances are you need both, but 
if the low percentage one is the one that sags your entire bench, um, right now, if he gets back into the form he showed earlier this season, Matt Murray gives up fewer of them. And so those are, you know, again, I don't know that any one of those factors stands out above the other, but those are all things that have to be in consideration. At the end of the day, I think the form of the final two or three weeks is probably going to be what matters more than anything, but there's going to have to be a willingness, like like we talked about earlier, to probably go back and forth. And hell, man, like, <laughs> does Joseph Wall enter, the, enter this conversation at any point? Because the sample size is tiny, but it's impressive. Really? What's most impressive about it? Well, I, like, I just, I, and this is just purely numbers. I only watched one of the games. Yeah, of course. Like his num- his numbers are all like if if I was picking on ex- on uh, sort of just basic expected save percentage, which takes out um, or sort of sorry, pardon me, adjusted save percentage, which now we're, we're sort of expected goals is a cumulative stat. Like mm-hmm. save percentage is like you know sort of uh, you know think about it. Well, everything's like per one hundred, right? So it's just sort of weighting it without, you know, needing to be cumulative. Wolves got the best numbers of the three. And He's again, only played in three camp. games, though, right? So it's just like yeah, that's tiny. one where you go, how how predictive is what we're seeing from those ones? Yeah, tiny sample and a really high expected save percentage, which is a team buckling down in front of them, right? Yeah. But, man, like, you know, especially especially given, given the inju- injury history of Matt Murray, like... I know it's going to sound crazy, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I just make sure he's ready at some point. Oh, I think that they've yeah they've informed him of that. Given the Matt Murray stuff, like the I one of the worst things about watching Matt Murray um, from an investment standpoint is anytime somebody goes into his net or anytime he has to make an awkward movement and he's getting up that half step slow, you go oh so that's it. Then there there he goes. And then when he's fine, yeah. you're completely blown away by it. And you're saying, how? How is this even possible? I thought this was going to be basically done for you. So maybe we'll go back to that for a second, which is when you're telling me, and this is, again, the layman's side of this, trying to interpret some of this stuff. When you're telling me about the the high, the broken plays that Samsonov has done extremely well this season, that feels like a less predictive statistic than the other stuff you're talking about. And so, like, from a... Yeah, from a purely analytical standpoint, because I think, yeah, man, I test, honestly, Samsonov has been the guy this year. Like, I just don't think there's anything, uh, there's no ifs, ends, or buts about it. He has just looked, he has made those spectacular saves that you're talking about. He's been fairly reliable. I think that he has exceeded most people's expectations here. But when we're talking about what is most predictive, uh, my guess is, is that it's the Matt Murray stats more than it is the stuff that you're talking about with Samsonov. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's the low percentage ones, right? Yeah. Like, like, and those are, uh, it, yeah, those, those are the ones that, sc- those are the ones that scare you, right? Like the ups, the upside on the other stuff. Um, that just feels you know, more that, random though. You know, like that feels more like, okay, you can have a really awesome season with that versus the other stuff you would go, this, this probably bears out further over time. And so maybe even the well, follow. Yeah. Sorry. And I think, I do think, again, it probably depends on what team. And I know it's Tampa in the first round, and, and just yeah. be honest, I, like, I can't pull up their profile on sure. the fly and tell you how they generate most of their I'll tell you one thing about Tampa, though. They're, they're pretty good, of, and so is Boston. But Tampa and yeah, Boston, I, two really good teams that will generate a lot of scoring chances, and they will also get to the slot. Yeah, and they're, and they're clean scoring chances, right? Like yeah. There are other teams around the league that are just going to shovel a bunch of crap to the front of the net and try. Like They literally live and die on broken plays, yeah. right? And And... and to some extent, um, at times, 
you know, again, my guess will be Carolina fits this mold to an extent. Like, I'm not ripping on them entirely, but to an extent, Carolina, like, they still have that, you know, POP, pass off pad, pucks to the net, you know, mentality. Mm-hmm. And to a certain degree, that leaves you living and dying off the randomness of those broken plays because that's what you're trying to create. You're trying to create that chaos. Um, but obviously, it's not Carolina in the first round for the Toronto Maple Leafs, so that's not something they have to worry about. The, I, I agree with you in terms of the Bruins and Tampa, especially on the power play with Tampa. Like, they're creating, they're creating slot line plays, and they're creating them through elite shooters on the other end of it, right? And so, you know, um, listen, overall – it's Samson. It's Samsonov for sure. Um, you know he's yeah, he's, he's almost plus one percent in expected save percentage on the year, which sounds great, but you know, grades out in the mid thirties. Um, mm. Although I should probably filter that for sort of get rid of some of the noise of some of the small sample guys. Hey, yeah, sixteenth in the league at at, at plus point nine percent, and that due to you know sort of what's happened what's happened lately. Um, you know, like those, those numbers are, are sort of are down significantly. So, like, on the whole, looking at the, ste- at the season uh, in that regard, like Matt's barely above expected on the season as a whole. And Samsonov's, like I said, like he's, he's flirting with, the, with, you know, top 15, top 20 range in the NHL. It's him every day. Um, but within that season as a whole, there's been pockets where Matt has played at an even higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that's probably why you're seeing them make such an effort to see if they can get him back into that form down the stretch here. Yeah. I think internally that's their hope too, that he can find his game before and that they're going to give him ample opportunity to do that down the stretch. And that if he can find it, even if it is for a short little stint that, yeah, he might end up being the guy in that series um, that he's always just sort of felt like the guy in that series. That said um, from all of this, I would have to say that Samsonov has passed expectations for this year, given where he was contractually, right? Is, is, are his numbers enough for you to say this is someone worth extending? Or is this as of right now, you know, the Leafs come to you and they say, hey, Kev, we've got to make a decision here and we're already paying Matt Murray $4.5 million next season. We're not going to be able to get off that number. Um, is this someone that you think is going to grade out into being a, a decent long-term buy? That's a really good question. And the person that has the answer to that at a level that I can't is going to be Curtis Sanford. Um, you know, I talked about it. I had, I had a pretty good feel for what worked and what didn't work with Ilya in Washington and felt the Leafs were getting a guy who maybe very, very late uh, during his time in Washington finally sort of realized that the way he'd been doing it wasn't going to work. And sometimes this happens with a highly touted prospect. Why are you trying to change me? I've gotten to here because I do it this way. And so they, they got a guy who I b- believed was going to be quite a, a lot more open to, you know, changing and making changes to his game and putting the work in. Um, there were times where I think it may have been a lack of maturity uh, in Washington. There were times where it was just, and this happens to a lot of goalies. This happened with Jacob Markstrom for years too. Like, hey, like I'm the best goalie not in the NHL. Why? Why does everyone keep trying to make me play different? Um, when every goalie coach that watches can be like, this ain't going to work. We need to change this. So they got him at the right time there. The degree to which that willingness has been there. Some of these physical limitations that I talk about, like, can they be improved upon? Yeah, to, usually they can be to a certain degree. Like, so what are you willing to do in the off season to? 
to widen your butterfly flare, to get some more range of motion and more length in your hips so that you're not, you know, flipping pinballs back there every time plays in tight. So you don't have those delays in your movement. They'll know that better than me. And then, of course, the other part of that question is, what's the number? Right? Like, I can't answer that question without knowing what the number is. Because um, I do believe you can find this is, this is a really good defensive team. Has been for a number of years now. This is a place where goaltenders should want to um, go and play, and they'll have success statistically as long as they can keep their head above water expected wise. Their raw numbers are always going to look better. Um, so I, you know, I would, I would think um, that if that ticket gets too high, that conversation changes, and that's another part that I just can't answer. So, sure. are they seeing the buy-in? Um, that I hoped they would get based on the way things went, his, the final half, half season in Washington. And, you know, is there a reasonableness in terms of what that contract looks like? Yeah, honestly, to me, this, those are the questions that you need answered to answer the do you resign him question. There's enough there, certainly, statistically, when you look at him. There's always been enough of a skill set. But I've also always believed that, the, you know, there's, a, there's something of a limited ceiling there without some some changes biomechanically physically and and is he willing is he capable of like will his body make those adjustments and is he willing to do the work in the summer to uh you know they, they won't be huge but there's you can always you can always get a little more out of it i've seen it with so many goalies um the ones that are willing to put the work in is, is he going to be one of those guys i don't have that answer they will have a better indication than i do mm. I, I you know what though i do feel better about is for years, the Leafs have really struggled at identifying this position, and now it does feel like at least they have internally um, some of the yeah goalie people like Sanford to help them make that decision a, a little bit better. Uh, Kevin, today was great. I hope we do this again, like yeah, before the playoffs start, so that maybe we can get a better feel for what ends up happening in the next couple of weeks, and then yeah, how that Tampa matchup is is gonna yeah materialize in terms of a matchup standpoint. But yeah, dude, I, I think I've said this to you many times before, but uh, I think our audience just ends up always being a lot smarter after we get to listen to you talk about the position. Thanks for doing this, man. Well, I don't want to scare people in Toronto, but let's not start talking Andre Vasilevsky because he's no. that team. That team is leaning really hard on him more so than they have in the past. And his adjusted numbers are right back where they always are. Yeah. Best in the world. Yeah. So. Here's the thing we uh, we didn't need you on today for, is telling us that he's really good. He's <laughs> like, really, really yeah, good. Yeah, it's like everybody here is very aware that there's no scenario where, yeah, Samson Alver uh, or Murray end up being the better goaltender than he is. Uh, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, have a good one. Take care. Uh, there's Kevin Woodley. Again, goalie guru for NHL.com and Ingle Magazine. So I obviously have a lot of takeaways from that. That does impact, I think, the way that I'm going to be viewing Matt Murray starts down the stretch, especially just in terms of whether or not he can find. We did see that version of Matt Murray this season, obviously. It's funny, though, because the game, he was playing really, really well, and then he had a game against Tampa Bay where he let in the softy from mm. the outside, and it was an overtime goal, but it still was something where you went, damn, that's the one of the first ones, maybe the first one we've seen from you since game one of the season yeah. where Kevin was talking about where he was at his very worst. Yeah. That's probably, again, something that you can probably just keep as a fan watching him now is, yeah, low and wide and knowing that he's going to struggle from that. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the post-to-post -post stuff is especially interesting knowing that he has actually been more successful than Samsonov this season. That said, I would say the most telling thing for me, trying to read through everything that right. Kevin's saying here, is that as good of the numbers have been, 
that your gut is telling you something correct, which is neither of these guys is a phenomenal option. And as good as Samsonov's numbers have been from a traditional standpoint, especially on home ice, that from an analytical standpoint, he's grading in at around middle of the pack of the starters. And that Matt Murray has been even worse than that. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're talking about predictable statistics, who can steal you a game? It does feel more like Samsonov the guy who is probably still more likely to be steadier for you and not break your back is going to be Matt Murray. As of right now, things can change over the next couple of weeks. But the most telling thing was that he even mentioned Joe Wall's name. Mm. That's not good. And said that he could be a part of the conversation. No, but yeah, just he, they say stay ready. Of course, that, right? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. But yeah. Kevin is really smart. Yes. He works with these numbers every single day. Mm-hmm. He knows that three games of sample is a nothing burger, and he even said that yeah. a large part of this is a team bearing down in front of their... Yeah. Eliminating the high-quality chances. Yeah, best goalie. Or, sorry, their youngest their goalie. Their AHL goalie. <laughs> but to even invoke his name... Mm. Says yeah. a lot, right? After three... It does. Yeah. yeah. It, says, it says, hey, your AHL goaltender might actually be... If in he's the conversation it. with these guys, and that made me feel a pit. <laughs> my, that that was a pit in my stomach that yeah. has not gone away. So, oh no, don't really love that one. Yuck. <laughs> You'd like for him to say something like, "Samsonov has been brilliant," and the numbers are saying he is the guy. Yeah, instead, you were hoping for some magic but number. But instead, in there, right? Vasilevsky no. is the greatest goalie no, ever. Just, <laughs> it, I think that's it. Is that maybe some of this is going to come down to matchup, like you said? Yeah. That Matt Murray still feels like, despite not having the numbers of Samsonov, that if he's able to put together just a couple of those games that Kevin mm-hmm. alluded to that we saw in the middle of the season, that he's going to get that opportunity first. That's how it's kind of always felt. Yeah. Um, it feels wrong right now because Samsonov has just been more consistent. He's yeah. been there. He deserves, I think, a lot of respect for the season that he's put together. Yeah. But yeah, that they're still kind of hoping that Matt Murray can be the guy for the reasons that Kevin listed, which is he is just more consistent at the stuff that they can measure with more accuracy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back and nail down the things we missed. NFL, Izzy. Sportsnet 590, the fan. fan. All right, so tons from the NFL yesterday. And even just right now, you hit me with a little bit of breaking news that Jacoby Myers is heading to the Raiders. The Raiders. Josh McDaniels and Jimmy Garoppolo. He saw Jimmy G said, I can't pass this up. <laughs> Three years, $33 million. I'm actually kind of surprised that it's that low of a number considering the receiver market. That's yeah, my first thought on that one. Crazy overspend for receivers the last couple of years. Eh? Well, and not only that, there's just not a lot of guys out there. He was clearly the oh, class yeah. of the receivers. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. like Jacoby Myers. Yeah. He's yeah. one of those guys where if he could just get a couple more touchdowns, he'd be a stud in fantasy. He's yeah. one of those yeah. dudes, though, a little he- un. He's one of those guys where he's like right on the fringe where you can never drop him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you, you rarely really him. want to start him. <laughs> yeah. Well, because there's always that potential that he could drop like 20. Like it's yeah. so close. Anyway, I like that signing for them. The only thing is, is that feels really crowded now in Oakland. Oh, yeah. Mm. Just Oakland. The, Devon. Sorry. Ooh, nice. Vegas. You've done that a couple times. Oakland. Yeah. Oakland. Well, guess what? They should be in Oakland. Yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah. I agree. I'm not saying they're wrong. Vegas Raiders. That's they they the gutted. Yeah. It's just the worst when they take things from fan bases that matter. And mm-hmm. that like like Oakland. I know. And, yeah. It's like a unique, cool fan base. And yeah. yes, had they moved around from LA, Oakland, yes, but whatever. It's not 
ripping them and moving them to a different state. Anyway. Oakland just sounds better. Now all I can think of, though, is, okay, so they signed Jimmy G, fine. Yep. Three years, $67 million. I heard Matthew Barry say yesterday that in fa- terms of fantasy rankings, which isn't everything, but that Derek Carr was 19th and Jimmy G was 18th per game. They're very similar guys. <laughs> I Sick don't love move. either. As a Seahawks fan, I never feared Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. And I actually viewed like his presence as like a positive for them never winning a Super Bowl, even though he did almost get very, he was there. He was oh, right yeah. on the press. Well, like one catch away. Still, I've never been a Jimmy G guy and maybe he'll be better with Josh McDaniels and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But no, all of a sudden with Jacoby Myers there and Devonte Adams, yep. Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. Darren Waller, just a lot of mouths to feed, especially for an offense that loves to run the rock. Well, so Josh Jacobs is also, I do wonder if there's a, there's a move that coincides with this and they maybe try to capitalize mm. on the thin receiver market through a trade. Anyways, uh, let's run down the rest of the list of these fellas. So we had, Jimmy G. we had a bunch from yesterday. Yeah. We also had some, some Aaron Rodgers news that he, no, 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 skip that. We'll skip do it, that when it. he, yeah. When Aaron Rodgers is an actual jet or whatever, this is just so whatever yeah. the hell is going on there is so weird. And I saw all the teammates tweeting about it, whatever they got it wrong. There's a couple of insiders. He's I, my guess is he's going to be a jet. Yes. People have gotten some pretty strong indications the they're trying to jump the market and Rodgers is doing something weird. That's holding it up. Anyways, okay. go on. Okay. So Javon Hargrave from the Eagles to the 49ers, four years, yeah, 84 huge. million. Yeah. That's Thoughts? a massive, well, that's a massive one. Yeah. I do think, um, maybe the Niners should have just kept the Forrest Buckner instead of trading him. They should have mm. just paid the man and kept their defensive line intact. But yeah, pretty clearly the dominant nose tackle from the Eagles, <laughs> yeah. but 11 sacks last year and was one of the best disruptors in football going to a D line that has also a couple of other studs. Mm-hmm. That's the main competitor. That one, if you're an Eagles fan, that has to hurt. Yeah. That just stings in a different way that you don't love, but it's obviously a huge coup for the Niners. I hate it. It's a ton of money yeah. for a guy who's 30 years old, but 84 also, million. yeah. Also though, game wreckers like that who do, do what he does. I feel like they age pretty well for the first couple of years to the contract. Yeah. So I love that one for the they, Niners. The Eagles did get Jason Kelsey back. He's coming back for one yeah, more year. But no word on the money, but, yeah, but no, there is. He's making 14 and a half. Million. It's 14 and a half yeah, million. Okay. Anyways, what's next? Uh, so Marcus Davenport, where Simon, the saints, we're losing Davenport. He's <laughs> yeah, going to this is one for Minnesota you guys. Vikings. Uh, it's very depressing. Cause all of our guys are going to teams in the division. The Vikings yeah. aren't in the division, but uh, Draymond Jones. To the Seahawks, that's your boy. Three years, $51.3 million. If you watched all the Denver games last year like I did, you will know (laughs) that their defense was actually solid. Mm -hmm. It was. It was very solid. Their offense was a disaster, but their D could play. (laughs) And it's nice to see Seattle sign someone who is still young, Mm -hmm. who has been disruptive. His sacks, I think people have been talking about his pass rush rate. Analytically, it's really good. His sacks, he did get four of his six against the... Looking it up yesterday, two against the Texans and two against the Jets in the same game. So I went, ah, let's take a bit, a bit of grain of salt with this. But it's a young player on the rise at a position they desperately needed. I love it. What's next? Yeah. So Jesse Bates, yeah. safety, Put going both to the those Falcons. Guys together. Four years, $64 million, fourth highest paid safety of all time. Yeah. And they also got Taylor Heineke as well. No, no, I meant, uh, yeah, Taylor Heineke, I don't care about. The two <laughs> Bengals, the, the Bengals lost both their safeties. Uh, yeah, Von Bell is also going to Carolina. Yeah, which I think that is. Mm. This is how it goes. Yeah. It feels great. And then all of a sudden, Javon Hargraves playing for the Niners <laughs> and the Bengals, who I think were the best team in the AFC last yeah. year. They lose two guys that were identity players for their defense. Yeah. And I'm not really sure what is 
behind them and how they're going to replace them. Mm-hmm. And by all accounts, they want to keep T Higgins and they don't yeah. want to, they want to extend him. That's going to cost money. Yeah. Burrow's a year away from a contract. Yeah. And so this is what we're going to see is a Cincinnati team that unfortunately, this is what I mentioned about the, there being more pressure on them last year than there was on other teams. Yeah. I was just about to bring that up. Burrow's, you mentioned it. Yeah. Burrow's older. That team was very complete. Mm-hmm. And I thought the other teams were kind of flawed. They needed that one last season. They well, had, and you got to strike when your quarterback's on that rookie deal, right? Exactly. I mean, that's it. It just it felt really, really important. Yes, is Joe Burrow going to be around for a long time, be a stud? Of course. Like it's going to be 100%. similar to what Buffalo has, where if you have Josh Allen, you're going to be in it. Mm-hmm. If he's Josh yeah. Allen, stays Josh Allen. If Joe Burrow stays Joe Burrow, right? You're going to be around it. You're going to be decent. Mm-hmm. But Patrick Mahomes is better than those guys, and he projects to be for a while. And so if you're going to beat him, you got to yeah. have a really good football team that makes plays when it matters. You can't leave the door open for him. Like, look what happened in the Super Bowl. Anyway, yeah. that's, a, that's a tough blow for the Bengals. That really does yeah. change the they way I feel about Bell. them, knowing that, yeah, they basically have to replace the heart of their secondary. Yeah. Anyways, what's next? We also have Tremaine Edmonds going from Buffalo yeah, to Chicago. One. Yeah. Um, four years, $72 million. Yeah. I don't like the signing for the Bears. I think it's a lot of money for Tremaine Edmonds. It Edwards. is a lot of money. So he's an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. We know that. It's yeah. a blow for the Bills because he was really good for them last yeah. year. Mm-hmm. But it's this is not a guy that uh, – Bills fans, you can tell me if I'm wrong. This is a Jared Sullinger test thing where you ask the fan base how devastated they are about losing a guy. Yeah. I don't think Bills fans are crushed today losing Tremaine. And I think they looked fan. at that number and went – that's fine. Yeah, best of luck. They weren't yeah. going to get there. Yeah, best of luck to you in Chicago. So I just think it's a little bit of an overspend for Chicago that now feels like they're maybe rushing something because they have yeah. all that pick equity with the signing. Uh, either way, the Bills, the bigger story to me is that they lose him and then they mess around with Josh Allen and Vaughn Miller's cap, right? They restructure those yeah. contracts to free up a ton of money. I wonder what the next big Bills move is. And yeah. maybe that there's actually two. But they freed up just over $30 million. My guess is that it's going to potentially be two moves on the offensive side of the ball. What I'd love to see them do is get in on the Derrick Henry sweepstakes. Mm. And, yeah, I don't know who the receiver is that they could sign that makes me feel better about them, though, because the Odell thing feels so he's going to the Cowboys. What about, mm. like, DeAndre Hopkins or something like that? We've well, heard yeah, his it, name floating around. Listen, if they trade for D-Hop, that's pretty sexy. Yeah, yeah for sure, I mean, 100%. Yeah, like, you know, the man with the largest hands. Yeah. <laughs> Banana hands. <laughs> the, the thing I'd say from the Chicago point of view is, like, I mean, they got a, they got so much cap room. They got to spend some money on someone. And so, like, you know, in two or three years, they'll be able to get off that, I'm sure, because of how NFL contracts yeah. work. So, mm-hmm. like, I guess it's worth a swing for them, you know? I just, my my thing with the Bears is, okay, I think they got a second-round pick for Roquan Smith and some... So that's the thing, yeah. They like, essentially traded, they got a second-round pick to kind of downgrade at the yeah, position. Like, yeah, like, yeah, okay, yeah. so for you're sure. going to spend all that's that right. money and get Roquan and leaves Roquan and you get yeah. a second-round pick. You better hit on a second-round pick. Uh, is there anything else? Um, Austin Eckler rumors. That's what I wanted oh, yeah. to bring up around Buffalo too. Like poor running backs, man. Austin poor Eckler. running backs. Just these guys. <laughs> Austin Eckler stud. You want him every single year. You play fantasy. If yeah. you have Austin Eckler and he's healthy, you're going. Yeah. Oh, this guy rules. Yeah. Dominant running back. Mm-hmm. Works his ass off. Smart. Fits in with the team. Undrafted Felt, guy who scores. Like, dude feels like so many times watching Chargers games. They are just running everything through him that he is just an identity piece for their yeah. offense, right? Mm-hmm. Justin Herbert makes plays, but that guy, you just check it down, run between the tackles, everything. Just his health is the only thing for Eckler. Yeah. This just makes me feel sick where you see some of these guys that 
I've never heard of getting such huge money. And Austin Eckler goes up to the Chargers and says, can I have some money? <laughs> yeah, please. And they go, no. Money. And the worst part is, is as a fan, you go, that's the smart thing to do. <laughs> I know. Right? That's crazy. Yeah. Especially because, like, Eckler, yeah. like, where is he going to go that he's going to get that many carries and that many targets? But ultimately, like, give me some money. Yeah. And now whoever the guy that replaces him in the Chargers is going to go for so much money in my auction draft. Uh, <laughs> all right. Let's hit something that's non-NFL related before we go. So... I mean, none of us watched the Oscars. I'm assuming that none of us really watched the Junos. Correct. <laughs> Astute observation. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but there was Connor McDavid. So the so Nickelback, yeah. you know, went into the, like the Hall of Fame or whatever. Connor the McDavid Lifetime Achievement Award uh, uh, presented them that, and also was asked uh, about his favorite Canadian artist and said, yeah. Nickelback. Okay. Uh, so you know, what's it? Give me some Nickelback takes here. <laughs> okay. So a couple things here. One is I have Connor McDavid takes. He just looked. Handsome last night. Hey, looked he tall, did, he looked did. good. He was just, he cleaned up very well for this. And he sort of looked like a star. Yeah. And hockey does such a miserable job at marketing its players. And nobody wants to even be doing anything. And he's in Edmonton. Like the awards were in Edmonton mm-hmm. where he needs the least amount of pop. But him doing it, I thought, hey. Sure. Good for you, Connor Crab McDavid. was losing it for yeah, him. Yeah. Good for you <laughs> that you're, well, he's by far the most famous person I get person that. There. But yeah, like they were, I mean, he must have felt like a hero up there. Yeah. He he gets them rocking when yeah. he scores goals there in that arena too, though. He's used to it. Anyway, um, Nickelback is clearly not my favorite Canadian band. <laughs> Wait, did they say Canadian artist or is it specifically they band? Said, they, artist. The question yeah. was artist, but I, yeah. I, I think the assumption sure, was like whatever, musical artist, band, act. whatever. Yeah. They're not in my top five. What I will say is that I have done a lot of slandering of Nickelback in my life. Me too. Because it was the cool thing to do. <laughs> in when like we were in high school, right? Yeah. Like our age ish. Yeah. Ripping yeah. on Nickelback was, was a thing. rite of passage. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. That was like Justin Bieber for me. That <laughs> but, was like the punchline yeah. was but always that, like, oh nickelback. Yeah, yeah. No, nickelback. Yeah. Oh Interesting. power chords. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure, non-musicians. <laughs> sure. Say that to me. Uh I get the hipsters will hate on them forever and ever. But Austin, play this is how you remind me. Like, play that song. (laughs) Like, fire that up to close the show. Because that song rules. So, yeah, the slander's gone way too far, right? Well, but now I feel like we're zagging back the other way really hard, where people are going, Nickelback is the best, Nickelback is awesome. (laughs) Which I think, okay, they deserve respect. You know how hard it is for Canadian artists to make it south of the border? And they've genuinely done that. They are, I don't know what they are. I'm going to assume they're multi-platinum. Gotta be. Yeah, they're... That's just something you say. I think so. Austin, are you the slowest guy on earth? Like, where is the song? Like, pull the song up. There you go. Thank you. Listen to that song. Turn it up, bro. What is this? Quiet time? Now well, it's time? Like, you know, it's an AM radio show, so I didn't want you to talk. Turn it up. <laughs> that. Oh, yeah. Ah, that little drum fill. Yes. <laughs> if you don't like this song, you stink. And this part right here, too. Like, up, up, up. I don't care if it's on the podcast. If you're listening to this on the podcast, the show's about to end. (laughs) Go bang some Nickelback. Oh, that rules. That's such a good song. You just can't deny that that song. Some of the other ones I'm really not that high on. I just like, I have no affinity for Hero. Right? Yeah. They they had Spider-Man soundtrack Hero was their other big one. Photograph? Photograph is ruined by the meme. It's ruined by the the meme. meme, The The meme killed them. They (laughs) got memed. That song got memed to death. 
I don't know. You can tweet me if there's other ones. Or who is your favorite Canadian act, though? Oh, the hip. Yeah, I was about to say as a Kingston I don't mean to kid, sound like I don't, a my, dork. My but hands are tied. Yeah, that sounds so easy and quick, but Nickelback is eight yeah. times platinum. My favorite band right now is Pup. Yeah, that's this is a good one. I love Pup. Huge Pup fan. Uh, I also am very particular to Joni Mitchell. Nice. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I would say all time it's been that. Anyways, we got to run. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave five stars and tweet me and DM me your favorite Inst- or your favorite ones. And then go listen to Nickelback if you're on the podcast. See you later. Make sure that.